Father, we just say thank you. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that never leave us. We thank you, Father, that we have obtained by faith an introduction into the grace in which we stand. And so we thank you, Lord, that everything that we do is because of your grace. That there is nothing that we could do of ourselves apart from you, God. And so we just say thank you this morning. We've made it through the week to this point. We thank you, Lord, that right now as we open your word, it comes alive. We thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, you take hold with us. And revelation knowledge begins to flow. And we just thank you, Father, for peace. Peace that passes understanding, which guards our hearts and our minds right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, are you guys ready to continue on in our series on the nature and the character of God? We're just trucking right along. We still got a lot more to cover in this series, but it's good. You, you, you know, I, I wanted to start this morning with something that Paul said. He was writing to Timothy, and he told Timothy, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul said, I, I, I'm not ashamed, Timothy, because I know the God I serve. It's not that I know about him. I actually know him. And as we go through the character and the nature of God, you can just come in personally and intimately before God and I'm, be like, God, I'm so glad that you're my provider. I'm so glad that you are my almighty God, my all-sufficient, self-sufficient God. I am so glad that you are my Jehovah Shammah. You are present with me in every moment of every day. I'm so glad that you are all these things. And Lord, I don't just let them be something I know about. It's something that I want to walk in. I thank you, Lord, that I receive them. I receive you as that. And so he says, I'm not ashamed because I know him. Because I know the one in whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded because of what he knew, he was able to persuade himself. And that's an important aspect. So much of the times we feel like we're trying to persuade God to do something. When what God has said is already done. When Christ was on the cross, he said, it is finished. I've done my work. He then went to the grave. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He kicked the devil in the teeth. He rose up victorious, and he went and sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because he was done. And so we don't operate out of needing God to do something. He's already done everything that you will ever need done in your life. He saw the end from the beginning. And so it's not about convincing God. It's about believing him and persuading yourself. Man, I like that verse that I read in Romans 3. It says, just because others didn't believe, does that make God unfaithful? No. We're not moved by what others believe. I'm only moved by the word of God and what he is. And I choose to believe him and persuade myself. And sometimes that means you're going to have to have a little conversation with yourself. When you're having lying thoughts going through your mind and they're saying things that aren't true, you go, no, brain, listen to me. This is how it is and this is who God is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed because I believe and I've persuaded myself that he's able to keep what I've committed to him. When you go before him in faith and say, God, just as your word said, you said, ask and I shall receive. I'm going to go ahead and just trust that those things which I've asked for and I've committed to you, you're able to do. He is able to do. 
We don't need to get worked up because God's not concerned about it. If it's not worrying him, it should stop worrying us. Because it's not based upon how worked up you can get about something. It's about how finished and settled it is. And that's why Jesus said, and I leave you, peace. Peace that passes understanding. There's going to be times where you're like, I should be worried about this, but I'm not. Because I've persuaded myself in who I believe. I know about him, and I don't, it's not just something, some head knowledge. It's something I choose to experience. And so when we talk about these characters of God, don't just let them be an education to you of like, oh, okay, so that's what God is. No, you say, God, I receive you as that. You are my provider. You are my all-sufficient God who produces growth and sufficiency in me. You are the one who's present. Because Paul, if we read that same verse in the Amplified Version, it says, For I know him, and I'm personally acquainted with him. So it's not just a knowledge, it's a personal acquaintance. And in whom I've believed with absolute trust and confidence in him, and in the truth of his deity. So I have confidence in him, and I trust in him, but I also know the truth of his deity. I know the truth of his character. I know the truth of his attributes. And that's why we're spending so much time on this. If you don't know the truth of his attributes, how can you have trust in them? And how can you be confident in him if you don't know them? So last week we were talking about him being our Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. The self-existent one who reveals himself is present with you all of the time. And it's not enough that he's just present, because as we said, that it, what does it matter if John's here with me? It, what if he, John came to cause a disturbance? Then I don't want him around, right? I don't want him to be with me if he's going to start messing things up in my life. Oh, I don't want him around if he's just going to stand there and critique everything I do. Like, no, you didn't do it right. I'm picking on John because John would never do those things. But if someone's present and unhelpful, what's the point of having them around? But that's not God. He is our refuge and our strength, and he's a very present help in time of trouble. And so when, whether it's a good day or a bad day, he's there to help. Because we need his help just as much on the good days, right? We're, we're not a bad-time God. He's not a bad-time God. He's not just like, when you're having a hard time, oh, maybe I should go talk to him and see what he thinks. If you talk to him on the good days, you'll have less bad days. Come on, do I need to say that again? If you talk to him on the good days, you'll have less bad days because he know, knows how to avoid a problem before there is a problem. And everything that we make mountains out of molehills, he just says, go ahead and rub it out and squish it and walk on. And so if we'll learn to talk with him and let him help on the good times, we don't have to deal with as many bad times. It doesn't mean they won't come. It just means that we've avoided most of them. And as he said in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. So because he's present and he's not going to leave you and he's not going to forsake you, then you can say, boldly say, then you may say is what the verse says. You may say, 
But that also it gives us an idea of choice. You may say, doesn't mean you will say. He's present. He won't leave. He's not going to forsake you. What do you say about it? I say, Lord, you are my helper. I ask for your help today, God. I ask for your help right now as we're preaching this message. That what you need to come across is what comes across. What the answers that people need are what's going to come out. And so, Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to your help. The Lord is my helper. I'm not going to fear. What can man do to me? There's, a, there's a, a, a large quantity of the body of Christ who is too concerned with what the world is doing. And what the world is saying. And what they're trying to do. And here in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying, why would I fear that? What can they do to me? And that echoes what John said. If God is for me, who or what can be against me? And so when we have a God consciousness and a God, big God mentality, you stop caring what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is thinking, and you get busy walking the plan he has for you. The plan he has for you, because where we ended last week, and we're going to pick up again, he's your shepherd. He is your Jehovah Raha, the Lord is my shepherd. And who better to reveal that characteristic of God than David? David was the shepherd boy. And so we look at this, he's writing later in his life. And he's looking at how he's experienced God, how God's been involved with him, and he comes to the understanding that, God, you're just like what I was doing in the field all those years. You know, there's some things about being a shepherd that we need to understand. Remember when David, or Samuel, God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint a king from the sons of Jesse. And he comes there, he gets there, and he sees the good-looking, the tall, the, the well-accomplished son. And he's like, surely this is the king. And he goes up to, up to him, and he, he checks with God, and God says, not the one. And he goes through all of the sons of Jesse, and finally he turns to Jesse and says, is this all you got? And he says, well, there is one little one out in the field with the sheep. And so think about that. David was out in the sheep, away from the ceremony, all the pomp, and all of the, the procedure that you would think would go with a king. And it's the same way with God. We think that he's found when everything's like, oh, oh God, we worship you. But you know, he's just as much found when he's out in the field. The shepherd is found in the field with the sheep. And you don't have to go to church to experience God. You get to experience him in the field of your life. Because he is your shepherd. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. In 1866, he wrote this in his monthly magazine. Um, and he says this. Uh, he called Psalm 23 the pearl among the psalms. And he said this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The sweetest word of the whole is that monosyllable, my. He does not say, the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large, and he leads forth the multitude as his flock. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And if he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me. He watches over me. 
He preserves me. The words are in the present tense. And whatever the believer's position is, he is even now under the pastoral care of Jehovah. Whatever situation you find yourself, you are under the care of Almighty God. You are under the care of the self-existent one who wants to reveal himself to you right now in the midst of whatever you're going through. He is now the pastoral leader of your life. And every pastor you will ever have in your life is just the under-shepherd. And we look to him as he leads. And he who don't need us to be intimately involved in your life all the time because the one you need is the great shepherd and he is the one who cares for you. And he goes on, he said, it is not only I do not want, but I shall not want. Come what may, if famine should devastate the land or calamity destroy the city, I shall not want. I love that. Old age with its feebleness shall not bring me any lack. And even death with its gloom shall not find me destitute. I have all things and I abound. Not because I have a good store of money in the bank. Not because I have skill and wit to which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. The wicked always want, but the righteous never. A sinner's heart is far from satisfaction, but a gracious spirit dwells in a place of content. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Whatever situation I'm walking through, I have the all-sufficient one with me. How could I find myself in a place of want? Right. Now, you can have a place of reaction. You walk into a situation, and you're like, God, I'm looking. I've got this, and this is what I need. What do I do? Well, that's fine. Go ahead and say, I look to you, God, to be my supply, to be my shepherd. Because yes. that's what he is. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That is not just a picture of Christ going to the cross, but it's the picture of Christ's uh, sacrificial nature where he will put himself at a loss before you have to go to a loss. Come on, isn't that the role of the father in your life, right? They are the ones that if somebody has to sacrifice, it's the father. And he is willing to give whatever he has to give so that his sons and daughters have more than enough. And the thing is, he can give and give and give and never finds himself in lack because he's the all-sufficient and self-sufficient one. So if he is all-sufficient, he is self-sufficient, and he can give to you nonstop, that's why you can say, I shall not want. And so we need to begin to persuade ourselves about those realities rather than the other realities of this world. And you can say, well, Pastor Jordan, are you trying to tell me to, to deny what's going on in my life? No, I'm telling you to acknowledge your God who is higher than what's going on, who goes further than this world could ever go. He's never ending. And he is present, a very present help in time of need. And so whatever you need, he is and more. And he does not hold back. I posted a, a post on social media this week talking about what Peter said. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What he said, he is able to perform, and he's not slow about it. He comes through right when you need it every time. 
Hallelujah. And so Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And if this is one of the major character attributes that Jesus displayed, then it deserves another week, you know? Wasn't enough that we spent half a message last time. There's so much more about him being our shepherd. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. He says that to his disciples. The Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. And he asks them this, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying? Now, when he asks that question, do you want to know what probably 100% of the crowd said? No. The shepherd doesn't do that. Why would you leave the 99 vulnerable to seek the one? But that's the natural thinking. What did we say about El Shaddai? He is able to sustain and be sufficient and provide growth for many. It's not just the one where Abraham was thinking son, God was thinking nations. And so in the story, though it seems like he would be leaving the 99 to find the one, he can't leave the 99 to find one. He finds all of them because he's ever present with them. And so even if you feel like God has left me, he must care more about the drug addict on the street. No, he cares both about you and them intimately and deeply more than you could ever imagine. And so though he may be seeking that which is lost, he's still seeking you. He's still present with you. And even if he has to leave the 99, his omnipresence stays with them while he reaches out. Come on. And when we think about, he said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. That word there means that which is dead, that which has been destroyed, that which has perished. And you may look at some of the dreams in your life and say, well, that's dead. That's never going to happen. He's come to restore and give life to dead things. That's what he does. What did Abraham believe about God? I believe in a God who raises the dead. He calls those things which be not as though they were. Hallelujah. And so we can take what Jesus is saying here. I've come to seek and save that which has died, that which has perished, that which is lost. And we can tie that right into what uh, Paul was saying in Ephesians 2. He said, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up together and made us to sit together with him in heavenly places. So if you feel like death is taking hold of areas of your life, go ahead and say, no, no, no. I've been raised to life. I have been seated with Christ. And no sickness, no death, no lack shall ever overcome me because my shepherd is present and I shall not want. Hallelujah. And so we told you last week that the first attribute of the shepherd is to feed and to tend. And he will never stop doing his job. Come on. Because what if some didn't believe? Does that make the faithfulness of God of no effect? Certainly not. The second aspect of the shepherd was that he becomes a companion and a special friend, a friend like no other. He is able 
to have conversations with you that you could never have with another person, no matter how close, because he knows you deeply and intimately, and he knows how to soothe your heart like no other, to reach down and say, it's okay, we're going to go through, I'm with you all the way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Go ahead and say, Lord, you are my shepherd. I receive you as the shepherd of my life. Lead me all the way. And then David goes on to spend the rest of the chapter telling us how the shepherd is going to work with us. And he goes on, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. What is a green pasture? It's a nice quiet place where there's lots of food where the flock can rest. And it says he makes them lie down in the green pastures. And you may feel like you're going through a rocky part in your life. That's not the time to lay down. And that's the time when you want to lay down, right? It's like, God, it's getting a little rough. I don't like how it looks. I don't like how it feels. That means it's not the place to lie down. That doesn't mean it's not the place to rest. That means it's the time to move. God knows when it's time for you to rest. And he knows when it's time for you to move. And so we need to understand the season that we're in. There's seasons where you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep going because you'll get to the green pasture and you'll be like, oh, here's where we've been going all the time. Why did I even get worried while we went over the rocks? Oh, great. Here's a great pasture just to do a little bit of resting, to do a little bit of eating. You don't eat on the rocks. You eat in the field. So he brings you into green pastures and he leads you beside still water. Why? Because you don't want to slip into the rapids and be swept away. He brings you to a quiet, gentle stream. And you know, in the Old Testament, whenever we see waters, it's a picture type and shadow of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always lead you in peace. He will always lead you with a gentle hand. He will always speak to you when you're at rest because he doesn't move from, uh, from uh, being worked up. He doesn't move from positions of anxiety and worry. He works from rest. And so when he says he leads you beside still waters, what did Jesus say? John 7, 37, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out. So he didn't say it quietly. He got up and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. And he spoke this concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so if Jesus is saying, out of your belly is going to flow living waters, that's an outflow of the shepherd nature of Jesus and God. He leads you beside the still waters. You know, there's a saying that we have, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But that's not how God works. Just because something's loud or noisy or boisterous in your life doesn't mean it deserves Pause for a second here. That's important. 
there will always be something yelling loud. Good things, bad things. I don't know if my, my kids know how to be quiet. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I need to give them all my attention all the time. There's times where I need to stop and seek after peace and let living water flow. So maybe you're in a time that everything seems loud in your life. You need to take the time to listen to the still waters. And you got to do whatever you got to do to find that place of peace. If you need to take a day off and go sit by a river, do it. If you got to rent a hotel room and unplug the TV and sit with your Bible out, do it. If you got to lock yourself in your closet for a few minutes a day where you can't hear the kids screaming, do it. Finding peace and letting the still waters of the Holy Spirit refresh you is worth it. Because the thing that comes right after the still waters is, he restores my soul. Now, he's not talking about your spirit here. He's talking about the seat of your emotions. He's talking about your mind and your thoughts. As we find those moments by the still waters of the Holy Spirit, he brings your thoughts into the right alignment. You know, it's funny how far we'll chase wrong thoughts. Just because they came into your head doesn't mean they get to stay there. And so when we find the still waters of the Holy Spirit, he begins to restore to refresh and to rebuild the proper thoughts we should be focusing on and thinking on. I always loved what Brother Hagin used to say. He said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair, right? Thoughts will come and thoughts will go. Which ones do you grab on? And you find what you should be thinking on in the light of the word and in the light of those moments at the still rivers of the Holy Spirit. They bring life. They bring health to our flesh. Your brain is part of your flesh, is it not? It's part of your body. And so as we're by the still rivers of the Holy Spirit, He restores our mind, our will, and our emotions. And He leads us into His paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we're not going to get into that one this, uh, this week because next week we're going to be talking about Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. And he says, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's part of the Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. You don't have to fear. What does he say? I will boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? What can man do to me? And so when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, don't let fear take you. It's a trip through, not a location that you're going to camp and make it and stay and say, oh, I guess I'm going to stuck here in the valley of death. No, don't put up with the devil stealing from you. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundantly.
abundantly. So don't put up with it. When you recognize that things are being taken from your life, whether it be your peace, whether it be your opportunities, whether it be your dreams, whether it be your health, whether it be your money, when you recognize that it's being stolen, you say, no, you shall steal no more in Jesus' name. You don't have to be nice to the devil. And Proverbs says that when you recognize that the, the, though the thief has been caught, he has to repay seven times. Come on. We don't have to fear. Because even in those moments where it seems a little rough, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil so that our cup runs over in the midst of the fight on the bad day there's a supply that runs over why because the lord is my shepherd i shall not want and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever if it's not good it's not god because his goodness and his mercy, they follow me. That means you're never one moment from stopping and going, hello, goodness, hello, mercy. Yes. They're right there. They're right here, right here, right now. Mercy and goodness of the Lord are present in your life. And God, I will dwell with you forever. So Jesus is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd always, gives his life for the sheep. Now, in the few moments that we have left, let's, let's consider John 10 here for a moment. When Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, John 10 is a response to what just happened in John chapter 9. They're having that conversation in John 10 because of something that just transpired. And so we got to back up a chapter and let's get the context of what's going on. And it starts in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And so they asked the question that is a response to their religious upbringing. God, whose fault is it? His or his parents? Because surely it's got to be someone's fault, right? And isn't how that how the world works? Not my fault. It's got to be somebody else's fault. Somebody is always at fault. And so they asked Jesus. And, and you got to think about the stupidity of this, this question. How can a little newborn baby be the one who sinned that they born blind. They haven't even spent a moment in this world in order to sin. It's not because of their sin. Oh, come on. And so Jesus answers, he says, neither. Whose sin is it? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Now, religion will tell you that Jesus' response was, guys, it's not his fault nor his parents. God made him this way just so that I could heal him. And you guys could all go, ooh, that was such a great miracle. Horse crap. Come on. 
We serve a good God who is a good shepherd. Where did he get the sickness to put on him? It says in him is light and there is no darkness. Come on. Don't let religion teach you that garbage. He says nobody sinned. It wasn't the, the kid. It wasn't the parents. But now that he's before me, I'm going to work the works. It doesn't matter what got the situation to that point. God is there to restore. And when you're looking back at your life, you're saying, I made mistakes, and it's my fault I'm here. And God's saying, I don't care if it's your fault. I still want to work with you. I still want to restore. And so he says, I must work the works of him who sent me. And even this day, the Holy Spirit is the same way. He's saying, I was sent, and God, man, he's still wanting to work in this day, in this time today. And he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said these things, he spat on the ground, and he made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Hallelujah. And so we can get the idea that this was a creative miracle. God, that he took clay and he shoved it into the holes where the eyes should have been, but most likely weren't. He, why? Because from dust you came and from dust you will return. God formed man out of the dust of the earth. God, Jesus looked at him and was like, hey, we got some things missing. All we need is a little bit of dirt and shoved it in his eyes and said, go wash at the place you've been sent. And there's an important thing. We preached a message a few months ago called a place called there. When God tells you to get somewhere, you get in it. You go do it because that's where your miracle is, not over the hill, in the place where he told you to go. And just as Abraham, when he, God told, take Isaac and go sacrifice him on the, on the mountain, it said Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place and then he went and got in the place. And that's where the miracle took place. And your miracle will be in the place that God has sent you to. Yes. Yes. And so he comes back seeing. Woohoo, awesome. But there's more to the story. It says, therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? And someone said, this is he. And others said, no, he's just like him. And he's no, but like, guys, no, it, it was me. It was me. So obviously something dramatic had changed that they're like, is that, is that really him? And therefore, they said, how are your eyes open? And he said, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said, where is he? And he's like, I don't know. And that's a real answer. He was blind when the miracle took place. He didn't see the guy who shoved the dirt in his eyes. He just obeyed the guy and went and did what he said. And so they're like, who is he? He's like, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I don't know what he looks like. I was blind. And so they brought him, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. And here's the, chain, the start of the chain of events that leads to John chapter 10. It was the Sabbath 
when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And according to the religious law, you don't do anything on the Sabbath. But I got to tell you, God doesn't care what day your healing comes. Every day is healing day for God. He doesn't care what religious people say can and cannot be done. He tells you what can and can't be done. So you believe him and you do what he said. And so the religious people, they're mad about it. How dare he heal someone on our Sabbath day? Come on, isn't that the enemy? Take something good and says, no, you can't do good on this day. No, God is good all the time. And so they begin to question him, and they don't like his answers. So they go and get his parents, and they bring him in. And his parents are like, yeah, he was blind. We don't know what happened to him. And they didn't want to answer the Pharisees because they had heard that if anybody was aligning themselves with Jesus, they were getting kicked out of the temple. And come on, it doesn't matter what religion tells you. They're saying, well, we're going to cut you off. Go ahead. The one who loves you will never cut you off. The shepherd who guides you, you shall not want. And so when the world is saying, don't do it, you can't do it. Oh, come on. If you do that, then you can't be with me. Don't be with them then. Religion will try and hold things over your head and force you to do things you don't want to do. God leads with a loving hand. He leads you to the green pastures. He leads you to the still waters. He restores your soul. And so they asked him again, you know, what happened? And he says, I told you already, and you didn't listen because they didn't want to listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And man, there's certain things maybe you should have just shut up a line before. Because as soon as he said it, they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We're Moses' disciple. And we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. Oh, man, I love this next part. He says, we don't know where he's from, and the man, the man who was blind, who's now got a little boldness because he knows the one who's actually willing to do something for him. He knows it's not them. They're given a hard time that he now can see. And so he's got a little boldness. And when you've walked in miracles long enough, you don't have a problem being bold. When people said, no, that's not possible, I go, ha, 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 I've lived it. And the man answered and said, why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from, but yet he's opened my eyes. Now he's mocking them. It's like, wow, 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 we f I thought you guys knew everything. I thought you had it all together, but you don't know where this guy's from, and he can open eyes? Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but anyone, if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. And since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And so he's like, guys, you, you don't know what's going on. This hasn't happened before, but I stand before you, the living miracle. This world needs some more people to stand before them as the living miracles and testify of the goodness of God and how the shepherd will go all the way with you and that he will stand before you. He will stand as your shield. He will be your refuge. He will be your help. He will feed you. He will be your companion. He will heal whatever ails your body. The shepherd does not sleep nor slumber. He's with you all the days. And the man says to them, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and you're teaching us? Isn't that where the question started? 
who sinned, this man or the parents. And so the Pharisees bring it back to everything about sin, and religion will always bring it back to about sin. What you did or what you didn't do, and God always brings it back to his love and his mercy and his grace that brings freedom from sin. When the woman who was caught in adultery, they all filed out when Jesus said, you who have no sin, you cast the first stone. And they knew that. They were sinful, and they filed out, and Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. What happens first? You open the cage and you set them free. You empower them to walk in that freedom. And it says, and they cast him out. And when Jesus heard that they cast him out, he went and he found him. That is the shepherd leaving the 99 to go find the one when they found he had been rejected, when he had been cut off from everything he had been raised in, when the families kicked him out, when whatever the circumstance is, go ahead and put it in there. When you've been in this position, the shepherd comes to find you. And he says, do you believe in the Son of God? He says, I don't even know who that is. And he said, it's the one who stands before you talks to you and has made you see. And he said, I believe. What did Poe start with with Paul? He said, I'm not ashamed because I know in whom I believe. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed. And so that leads us into John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, He will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Whether you're in, he's with you. When you're out, he's with you. Wherever you go, the shepherd follows, and I shall not want. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you might have life, and life more abundantly, because I'm the good shepherd, and I give my life for And so, Father, we just thank you that you are our shepherd. We declare that that's what you are to us. Every day of our lives, you walk with us, you guide us, you protect us, you supply. We just receive you as that shepherd that never fails, that never changes. God, we thank you that we're moving towards those green pastures where we can find rest where we can find sustenance, that you lead us beside those still waters, where you can restore our souls. We go ahead and we speak peace to the commotion. We speak peace over our lives. We speak peace to our thoughts and to our hearts right now that they shall be settled on the rock that you are our shepherd, Lord. And we thank you for it. We give you glory, Lord. We give you all glory and honor and praise.
find your mercy and grace. So, Lord, I grab hold by faith. Just as the word said, let them boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? Lord, say this with me. Lord, you are my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, in just a moment, our word care team is going to be up here at the front. They would love to pray with you, believe with you, celebrate with you. Whatever you need, go ahead and just avail yourselves to them. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor Robin, you're on. Oh, glory. We want to give you opportunity to sow into the kingdom of God. So this is it. Amen. And so on the board is... The website, if you want to give online, if you want to give it in an envelope, there's one in the seat in front of you. And uh, we just thank God for his provision to us that he supplies seed to the sower. Amen? So let's say this confession together and stir our faith up. This is my seed. I sow it in the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot I saw you to grow, multiply, and turn in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Amen.